Welcome to episode number 235 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of Surdu, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill, and with me today, we have Ryan, Michael, and Noah. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're discussing the right to repair. This topic is so hot, it created a rift in the multiverse. And Whoa. Chris from Jupiter Broadcasting will be joining yeah, us in, in, in the discussion. Yay! So then, then we cover the biggest gaming news to hit Linux since the launch of Proton on Steam. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software pick. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep your penguins marching. So we have a quick announcement that we want to give you. And so mark your calendars for Sunday, August 22nd, because at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, or 1900 UTC, we're going to celebrate 30 years of Linux with a MegaFest. So in the past, we've done LugFest and we've done GameFest and that sort of stuff where the dealing community gets together to hang out, talk Linux and open source, or games where we all destroy Ryan in every game we play, because as we all know, that is the goal of every (laughs) GameFest. So this time we're combining a lug fest and a game fest to make this deal in mega fest. And so mark your calendars for August 22nd because you don't want to miss out on all the fun at the first ever deal in mega fest. In our community feedback this week on the discourse forum, there was an interesting post started by TJ that asked the community what VPN they are using in Linux. And I thought this was an interesting topic because uh, our preferences have kind of changed. You know, uh, we pretty much all were 100% PIA for a long time or PIA, which, you know, it was a lot of the most recommended VPNs for a while for a lot of people. And personally, I've changed. I know Ryan has been questioning and that sort of stuff. So I thought it'd be interesting that we, you know, presented to all the hosts here and see what everybody thinks about it. Actually, let's just real quick, let's make a little bit of a pivot here, and I'm going to make some changes to the cameras. All right, we've made the changes, and as Jill mentioned earlier, the multiverse has, ma- has made a lot of changes itself. <laughs> Thanks to the Lokis, the timeline has branched, and we are joined by a new variant this week. Chris Fisher from Jupiter Broadcasting is joining us. Welcome to Destination Linux. Hello, guys. It's good to, it's good to be here. Hello. Hi. Hello. Awesome to see you, Chris. Love. Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, brown bear. So, you know, the question about VPNs, I feel like that's like the new should I defrag my hard drive question. It just comes up all the time. And I, <laughs> oh, I think for sure, like you guys, my answer has changed. I think there's the way I look at it in two ways, right? I look at it as you have a VPN for getting work done, connecting ser- securely back to your network. Maybe it's home or like the studio or whatever. And that's what I what I use predominantly is just WireGuard set up on my own systems. But there's like a second kind of common use case that I have for a VPN, and that's watching content. I'm just oh, saying, you know, yeah. some content. Uh, and, yeah, that's um, the thing. For that, I actually prefer to use something hosted by somebody else, but I still want it to be private and all of that. And I'd like it to be compatible with my Android set-top TV box. I have an NVIDIA Shield. So for that, I've been using for about nine months NordVPN because they have an Android app specifically compatible with Android TV. So you can fire up the VPN from the couch. (laughs) So I'll use NordVPN for that kind of VPN use and then WireGuard for, you know, like getting to the studio or something. Now, one of the reasons why a lot of us talked about private internet access over the years is kind of the choice there was because... They actually have cases out there, right, where they were taken to court. They were asked to provide records 
they couldn't provide any. So it gave a lot of credence to the claim that they don't capture records because the VPN business is like snake oil salesmen uh, <laughs> of, of, the, of the old days, right? There are so many companies that are untrustworthy in the VPN route. A lot of them go for, not all of them, but a lot of them try to get people from the really low cost option, like $5 a year and you can have our VPN, but it's not protecting anything, right? It could be even selling more information or logging more information. Um, so it's one of those things where you have to be really careful which one you choose. NordVPN actually has apps as well, if I recall, for Linux desktop. So some of the VPN options out there, they you can only set them up through the terminal, which for those who are comfortable in the terminal, that's great. But for those who want just a nice GUI application to go into, I think Nord provides that, Pia provides that now, Proton provides that, mm-hmm. and Mozilla VPN provides that if it's Ubuntu officially, although if you're an Arch, you can, of course, get the build in the AUR, of course. Sure, of uh, course. Because everything's available there. Of course. Um, but I've been playing with Proton VPN a lot because I just love Proton Mail. So it was kind of a natural. I went from private internet access. They got bought by a new company. There's been, there's nothing that's shady that's happened, but there's some past with that company. It's like, eh, I'm not sure. There Let me some, just look and see what's out there. There were some <laughs> issues. They had like adware or something in one of their products. But like the, the thing that, my opinion about this is when a service is all about trust and privacy, as soon as the people in charge are no longer in charge, then the process starts all over again for me. You're going to have to rebuild yeah. that trust sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Proton VPN is kind of the exception to a rule that I have when it comes to choosing a VPN. I, I'm generally a little leery of the ones that have bolted on a VPN to their service. Like you see this all the time with Usenet providers and a lot of different services will they'll just throw in VPN on the side. And I like a company that's really just focused on doing the VPN, but like with the exception of Proton VPN, because I've had such a good experience with Proton Mail, I actually kind of trust that they're going to get that one right. But that is just kind of a red flag for me that maybe people could consider is, is it their core focus or not? I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would say in the case of Proton, right, that is their their core focus is privacy and privacy tools. So I, I would say in that case, that probably is their core focus. They just started with the mail side, moved over to the VPN side. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a fair point. And why probably you're willing to break that rule for Proton, which I like that point because dedicated services, I want their full attention on making sure my stuff is private. The Mozilla VPN, though, I've been playing with. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty fast, but there's no free option. Like the Proton, you can do a free option. I don't know if the others, I don't know if Pia, does Pia have a free option or Nord that you can just try it out for so. a certain amount of time? They might have like a seven-day trial, 14-day yeah, trial. trial Mozilla sure. has none of that. And they're one of the most expensive, honestly, out there. They're, they're, they're pretty pricey. Um, there's no deals on it, but it's very fast. I've been playing with it just this week. I put it on my phones. I put it on my desktops. My frustration with Mozilla is that I, I feel like a lot of the community that has pumped Mozilla up, that they kind of look at as their last option that they're going to support. Like everyone else is supporting every distro practically on the list. Like Pia, you can install it in any distro. The script runs, you got a GUI, you're good to go. Mozilla, it's just Ubuntu. And of course, the work that the AUR folks on the AUR did made it available for Arch. And that kind of frustrates me with Mozilla, although I want to look for ways to support them because if those didn't hear the news, Edge surpassed uh, mm-hmm. Firefox this week. So now, and I guess that's not super surprising because it's essentially you know, a Chrome browser, but that type of stuff, I want to try to support Mozilla. They've done a lot for the community over the years, but I just don't feel like they give back to the community that supports them the most as heavily as they should. It's sort of unfortunate, too, that it's just not simpler to just integrate it with Network Manager because Network Manager mm-hmm. has utilities to set up a VPN. 
So some of these providers could just be releasing files that you could easily import into Network Manager. You don't even need an app. It's nice to have the app, but if they're not going to go to the trouble of making an app, they could at least make a config file that you download and yeah. add to Network Manager. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of them do, right? Like Pia does that. They give they provide open VPN files you can just import to Network Manager and fire it up and connect. In fact, they give you ones per um, outpoint or I guess endpoint on their end. Yeah, sure. yeah several do, do. Several do, yeah. Mozilla doesn't. I, I agree there. So for me, I think if I was to uh, recommend a VPN, I would go Proton. That's the one I've been recommending to folks in my community and things just because I've played with it the longest. I, I trust it. And that's a change because it used to be all private internet access. Now, would I tell people don't use private internet access? Absolutely not. It's just to me, Proton has that full trust for me at this moment. And Mozilla, I need some more time with it, right? I think there needs to be some cases, some proof that what they're doing and the companies that they're using are, are the right ones. And so that's where I'm at with it. Anybody have any different approach to Yeah, actually, that? I think that uh, the po your points you're making, all I'm making is, is very valid. And I think that the PIA thing is not that I don't trust them. It's just more like uh, you kind of have to rebuild it for me. But after digging into this Mozilla thing, I noticed that it was being uh, powered by Molvad VPN. And this service was interesting because I've been looking into it for a while, but I never really, you know, dug in that much. But once I saw Mozilla was doing, I was like, okay, well, now I'm curious more about Molvid. And then I also found that Malwarebytes has a, a VPN powered by Molvid as well. And Molvad has a bunch of cool features and stuff like that. But I think there's the coolest thing I think about it is that they have a very straightforward approach to it. They basically say, do you have discounts? No. Do you, do you run specials? No. It is a flat fee, always this flat fee, and no matter what you do, it is always this. You don't have to worry about anything changing or like you know missing out on a sale or something like that. That's an interesting approach. But also, they unlike <laughs> unlike Mozilla that only offers you know Ubuntu support, Molved has RPMs and DEBs, and of course, it's in the AUR, so people who want to, it's there. Uh, but there was another thing that I thought was really interesting about Molvad is that you can pay with it with all the stuff you expect, like credit card and PayPal and, and even crypto, but they also allow you to pay with cash and it, it How doesn't do you get that there. I don't know. You they, just they, mail them like cash in the mail. Yeah, like, they have, you go. they basically, like yeah. And they have like this special code that you say, okay, this is my account. And you're like, okay, we reference it. Like, I don't know how it really, how that works really, but it was super interesting. I saw like, Listen, I don't want to use my cool. cash for this, but Chris, would you be willing to <laughs> mail them cash and tell us yeah. if it works? Well, I'll mail you some cash and okay. then you can mail it to them. Mail it to them. I like <laughs> yeah. that. That, that yeah. works. That's perfect. <laughs> now I do see in the chat, a lot of people saying that the Firefox VPN, because it uses Molvad's back end is just a rebranded Mulvad. And my understanding, and again, I'm still playing with this Firefox VPN and learning more about it, which was kind of the whole task of, of going ahead and signing up for it, but that they're, they are using their server locations, but they have full ownership of those servers within Mulvad right. and kind of deploying their right. own. It's not really a reseller type of thing. It's yeah. more of like a partnership. Right. And I look at it too as another way to potentially, even if it was just a rebranding to support Firefox, which, you know, I, I think they need support clearly at this point based on a lot of the news things that are happening there. And uh, like, like Ryan, I fell in love with ProtonMail. So I switched over to Proton v VPN and I was on PIA for years and years. And, so that's uh, really the ding yeah. ding win win here is that most of us seem to be kind of on the Proton VPN train for sure. We love hearing from our worldwide community. So what we want you to do is grab your official DLN mug. 
you fill it with some coffee or bubbly, then you sit down at your nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. If you'd like to be part of the discussion, then join the DLN community form by going to dlnform.com. This episode of Destination Linux, it's brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now, DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBAAS. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. You simply offload the MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean. You let them handle all of the provisioning, the managing, the scaling, all of the updates, all the backups, all the security of your clusters. DigitalOcean has built this service in a part partnership with MongoDB, and together they've ensured that you're going to get access to the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. Now, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. That is do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, do.co slash DLN dash Mongo to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's managed MongoDB. And of course, a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So we have a really interesting discussion topic this week, and we wanted to have Chris join us to talk about this topic. It's been a very hot topic in the news recently, and that is the right to repair. So in the U.S., the right to repair has made its way into the mainstream. Uh, the president, Joe Biden, has, has signed an executive order, which is not necessarily like as, you know, as the same weight as a, a law, but it does give a lot of recognition to the issue, which is important. And we also have some comments from St the Apple co-founder, Steve Wozniak, and a lot of other stuff about right to repair because it is a big topic. And I wanted to bring this up to the, the, you know, the group and talk about, to me, it's a very important topic. I know that Ryan is, it's really important to him. So I wanted to talk about it as a, as a whole and give him the floor for this one, because I know it's really close to his, you know, his heart sort of thing. Well, it's not only close to my heart. I mean, this was my family's way of making a living. We, when I was growing up, we had, my dad worked in a small business. He worked out of our apartment building that we didn't have enough rooms for all of us. So the kids shared a room. One of those rooms was mm -hmm. my dad's office. He built his business from that apartment room. He would stay up all night to the point when I'd wake up as a kid, I would walk down in the middle of the night to go get some water and him and his part business partner were there with bottles of Tums all over the floor, working on repairing and building their own machines. They were building their own computers to sell to restaurants at first. So they were making their own, the, the first kind of uh, point of sale systems for restaurants, but they wanted their own brand. And because the parts were so freely available and they were able to go get that and tinker and play and come up with better concepts with things that are already out there and tear apart current point of sale systems and find out how they work, they were able to accomplish this. So eventually it became a business and we were able to open a store. And that was my first job in that store was to be the computer repair person. And then the big box stores came in, right? You had your Best Buys and your Circuit Cities and all of that. And we're sitting here with this small business. Now, the Best Buys and Circuit Cities, they get all kinds of government help. They get street lights put in and in turns. Our business, you had to do a U-turn. They get their water supply kind of paid for because supposedly they're going to support the business with more jobs. And they've got big pockets and in investors. So they can buy 10,000 Intel processors at a time. And we're buying 50 Intel processors at a time as an example. So how did we make a living when that happened? Well, we were the repair center. People would come, they'd go to the Geek Squad or something else, not get their device actually repaired. And then they would come to us and we would repair it. So this is how we made our living. This is how I fell in love with computers. This is how I fell in love with technology. And when you look at Steve Wozniak, who spent, I don't know, a good hour in an interview talking about this, he mentions 
if it wasn't for the ability to tinker and tear things apart, Apple wouldn't have existed. Now, I do find this rather funny because Apple is probably one of the worst companies when you think of right to repair (laughs) out today. And the fact that the founders of it were, you know, at least one of the founders is now coming out saying, hey, Apple wouldn't even existed if we didn't have the right to repair. I think this import, this issue is so important. It hits so many things. But Chris, you're here as a guest. I would love to hear your thoughts on what right to repair means to you and, and what your thoughts are of kind of bringing this subject forward. This feels like it's very, very complicated because when I first, when we, when I first thought we were going to talk about this, I thought, oh, this is a no brainer. <laughs> obviously, obviously I want the right to repair. I like you got a very early start fixing computers and the school district that I was working at didn't really have the money to buy high-end Dells and HPs. And so they were working with a local shop, sort of similar to what your situation was. And they were buying the PCs in, you know, 50 to hundred, 200 at the most. And then it was my job to keep them running for five, six, seven years and replace parts as they failed, which happened a lot back then. Um, and I know there's also the aspect of this conversation from like the tractors and the farmer standpoint and, and gear that you need to do your job. I totally, I totally think like that is an obvious area where right to repair should exist. Where it gets complicated is I like to fantasize that maybe I'm also like a little bit of a free market-ish guy. And I'm like, well, let's let the best product win and consumers can choose. And that is, that's great, right? In theory, because we get thin phones and great screens and fancy little laptops, but the market is not, it's not healthy, right? It's skewed. Apple is a $2 trillion company. They're on their way to $2.5 trillion. Microsoft makes their own hardware now. Everything's sealed up. And so it's sort of, this is this has kind of become a new cause for me, just not just with the hardware, but with the software too, which is where free software obviously plays such a huge role. Um, and so I look at this as by a very minimum, companies like Apple, even if they're, if they're not going to change the way they build things, have to start changing the way they document things and the supplies that they provide to third-party manufacturers and repair shops. They got to change that stuff. Uh, and if somebody has to force them to do it, maybe that's maybe that's the way it has to be. I don't want to say they can't make a laptop, you can't replace the battery, but I'll tell you I'll tell you guys this. Just recently, I flooded my RV with 17 gallons of water and I lost nearly every electronic oh in my, my RV. I, I heard that, Chris. It was oh horrible. And you know what? You know what my first thought was? I wish I could replace the batteries. I wish I could pull the batteries out so that way these devices aren't lost. But every single device, all of them, even cheap, crappy Android tablets, all had sealed batteries and they were all lost. I couldn't, I couldn't do just that simple kind of just pull mm-hmm. the battery anymore. And I, I think we've lost something there. You know, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I see the stamp. I see what you're saying from the standpoint of battery. And indeed, like my grandpa would roll over in his grave if he found out I spent a thousand dollars on a device and I couldn't change the battery in it. Right. Like that would be ridiculous to him. At the same time, I, you know, what do you think, Chris, about the longevity of devices? You know, we get these devices and then they come out and maybe Apple has no use for them anymore. And so they go by the wayside, even if they didn't allow you to, to tinker with the actual insides of it. How about allowing people to to repair from the software side, at least to be able to use third-party software so they can get some more life on it and reduce the e-waste. Yeah. I mean, that's where that free software story really comes in again there. It's, 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 so, it's so within our reach if we just had the cooperation by companies like Apple or Samsung or whoever. It is totally within our reach as a community to build software that runs on these devices and brings a whole new kind of life to them. And 
not only is that just great from like a you know price and economics and and people can't afford the latest gadgets, but it seems kind of obvious from like an environmental standpoint as mm. well, which is mm-hmm. which is the angle I'm surprised doesn't get pushed more on this. Absolutely, that is so frustrating yeah. when you look at these companies that get the praise as kind of being, I don't know the the companies at the forefront of social movements. You think of companies like Apple and stuff. Horrible supply chain, slave labor, all of those things constantly coming up in their supply chain, right to repair, e-waste, massive issues. And then when you talked about competition, both you and Noah, the thing that came to mind is the Samsung and, and other of the, these other big companies that initially when Apple does something like takes away a the charger, for instance, as an example, or uh, makes it so you can't replace the battery or any of these other changes that we as tech enthusiasts have been like, eh, I'm not so sure that the trade is worth it. It's companies like Samsung come out and start making fun of them. And then their very next phone does the same thing. <laughs> yeah. They're making it's- fun of them because they haven't had the time to copy them yet. So they're trying to make, they're making up, making up for it. So like, we don't want to <laughs> miss the opportunity to make fun of them, yeah. but we're totally going to copy them because we're baby I think Apple. they're actually shocked that it works. Like part of me thinks Samsung goes, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is going to be a disaster for Apple. Let's go out there on this big PR. Oh my gosh, people bought it. All right. Well, that would save us a billion dollars to not be able to uh, <laughs> yeah. put that in. Let's do it too. People apparently don't care. And, yeah. and I think it's important that people like us who have a platform and also all of these big YouTubers everyone watches and, and, and praises that I watch too. I love watching all the new gear and everything, but these, these, these personalities never mention supply chain. They never mention right to repair. They just talk about, oh, here's this new phone. Here's all the specs on it. Here's what it can do. Yay. But they never talk about those critical things. And I think it's really important for us, anybody who has a platform at all, to be talking about this stuff because it's, it's really important. It matters. Yeah. Do you think that's partly because we in society generally view electronics as disposable? Like if you look at what comes out on YouTube, right? Yeah. We we really focus on the new and bleeding edge. And if it hasn't come out in the past few years, then we're not terribly interested in it. You don't see a lot of people talking about the phones that are four or five years old or the laptops that are four or five years old. But the reality is, I think there's a lot of people out there that are still actually using those devices. And does that disposable culture kind of lead us to to tell the companies that, hey, Make it as cheap as possible. Get it down as small as possible. And it's okay to have planned obsolescence because really we we tell them we're not interested in it for more than a few years anyway. I wonder if things are shifting, right? Because we in the mobile industry have been going through such a rapid innovation phase with CPU speeds and the entire device is just getting better and better and better. But that's kind of slowed down, you know, like I've got a Pixel 3 and I'm good. (laughs) Like, I don't really need the new Pixel. I might get a six at some point in the future, but like it used to last me a year and then I felt like I needed to upgrade. And now I'm kind of getting on to three years with a device. And I wonder if this topic isn't going to become more important to the general public as they buy these thousand dollar phones and go, man, I can use this for five years. Apple's going to update it for five years. Why don't I just stretch it out? The thing's perfectly fine. The camera's good. It just need to replace that dang battery. Or I just like my screen replaced because I cracked it that one time. I, I have hope that, that people would come back and, and start caring about this stuff more. But what I've seen is that the businesses have this long term plan. Like, for instance, the fact that everybody makes fun of the new iPhone when it comes out because it has such small amount of space, right? They still have phones coming out with 64 gigabytes of storage on them. Well, you can't replace the storage, right? You can't add a micro SD into an Apple phone. They've removed that slot. So what is the bigger plan? Cloud storage. They They want you to buy the cloud storage subscription. 
And every all these businesses have this longer plan to kind of force you into their ecosystem and stay there. And as consumers, if we're, if well, as people with platform and also consumers, if we don't go out there and talk about this stuff, I think by the time we make some adjustments and changes, it might be too late. I'm hoping you're right though, Chris, because everybody I know in the telecom world is bored. Android, iOS, doesn't matter. They're bored. I remember we talked about this on Hardware Addicts, Michael, how exciting it was to get a new phone. Yeah. Me and my wife wouldn't talk to each other for oh, like yeah. three hours because we'd just be sitting there setting everything up, going <laughs> through the settings. And, and now I get a new phone and I'm like, okay, it looks the same as the other one. I mean, yeah, it, exactly. the camera is a little sharper. Yay. Like it, it's pretty boring, you know? And yeah. I think maybe that is, that means it's ripe for another company to potentially come in and be that company. And we talked this last week on Hardware X about Sony potentially stepping up, of course, with their open uh, mm. software initiatives and things like imagine them coming in and, and offering modular phones and, and really making a push with this open software platform well, doesn't to be modular, that company that's private like secure battery yeah and, and yeah just change the module the battery. Yeah. battery module yeah. power module <laughs> yeah, there you for go sure, for sure speaking of batteries that's another thing with built-in obsolescence the computer industry and and being able to build computers, well, one of the first things that, that can die is the BIOS battery. And a lot of people don't know how easy it is to take out and put a new one in. So they get rid of the computer and ends up in the landfill. Yeah, <laughs> it's, true. I actually, it's just I kind not of, cool. I kind of feel in a way like building your own PC is sort of attached to the right to repair, like the philosophy around having oh, access yes. to the components. Totally. And can you just imagine if that just sort of dried up? That would be such a such a loss. It's yeah. such a great way to learn and tinker and build something unique for yourself. And yeah. that is, you know, one of the reasons why this is so important to me as well. Because if I hadn't started upgrading computers in the 70s and building them in the early 80s, I probably wouldn't have had the passion for hardware and collecting vintage computers that I do. And and my hardware museum would have never existed. Right. <laughs> that would be I would have never. <laughs> I would have never cared about, I, I don't think I would have had the same passion I had, had I not been able to build computers because my dad was a software yeah. person. When I was running the storefront, he wanted to write software. That was his passion. And, and that that's where he wanted to spend his time. I hated the software side. I didn't want to program. But when I put my hands and built a computer and did that first power on and got to that post screen, I was like, yeah. this, this is me. This, I'm magic. in love. Yeah. It was magic. And <laughs> that was my tool that I found. And that created the whole passion for computers as a whole. Without that, without me being able to put my hands into the guts of a computer and build it and repair it and see people's faces when you hand them back this machine that their life now depends on and, yeah. and it's fully working again. Like it's, it's just, it's a powerful motivator that as these companies take technology, the direction they're going we're going to have whole generations lose out on it, which kind of brings me to the topic of, before we close this out, what can people actually do to help with this? Yeah, I think there's there's the obvious answers like the Congress critter and contact them and whatnot. But I actually think the more direct action would be to just vote with your wallet uh, mm. and try to buy modular when possible. I don't always do that, right? I mean, I do have an iPhone. I admit to it. I own an iPhone and a Pixel and neither one of them can I change the battery in them. But right. I have been thinking about it more and more uh, especially when it comes to like computers that I use for doing my job. That's sort of where I have a real hard line and I'm going to vote with my wallet whenever I can on, in that area. I like that answer. I, I also agree that a lot of times we we mentioned the, oh, write your congressperson, whatever, and, and do that by all means, please yeah. do that. Um, but I think voting with your wallet's a big thing. I think for me, I was talking about, you know, for, for a long time, I also have an iPhone, but I was looking at what Sony's doing and thinking, I want to support these companies. They're even dabbling in this arena as a right. way to kind of say, hey, this is something of very much of interest to me because if we let right. these companies kind of die, 
and we don't talk about it, then they're probably not going to pursue it as an option. So I think voting with our wallets, as you said, is, is a very good option, but also leaving comments in the, if you're watching those oh, yeah. videos of the big celebrities talking about the latest iPhone, or you see it on Twitter, wherever you're at, ask the question, Hey, that's a really cool video. Can you repair the phone? Can you replace the battery? Can you, maybe if they see enough people asking that question, they'll start putting it into the content and the manufacturers might take notice. I don't know. Yeah. And having the ability to tinker and upgrade your devices helps us to progressive as humans and keeps us curious and learning. You know, it, it, point. it progresses us and it progresses our hardware. And in fact, Linux may not have ever been created if it wasn't for his right, right to repair because he created Linux on, on his i386, which is an, wasn't an affordable computer that could be easily upgraded. Unlike the expensive Unix systems and Unix softwares, you know, of the day that could really only be bought by big companies because it was too expensive. Yeah, that's a great so, point. And that's a powerful point. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny because we were talking about we we're talking about this topic, and it's something that has recently become more and more important to me because it was already in principle important to me. But yeah. when Ryan was talking about stuff, saying if I hadn't got into hardware, and I I was a, expecting at the end of that him to go, and I'd be like Michael. And it's funny because mm -hmm. in my head I'm thinking this because I'm because it's the whole, every time you're saying if this hadn't happened it's like that's 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 what happened to me because I am <laughs> a big software person I was never really a hardware person I I enjoyed hardware but I wasn't really into it and then we make hardware addicts and I become like engulfed An into the hardware conversations and stuff and now I'm super excited about all sorts of stuff and then I build my own computer and you know I do the experience the right to repair and it is it's so much more important to me because of this so i'm in the 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 exact like example of it is something that if it goes away i would have never had the experience to try it and that would have been like devastating in, in a way that was an amazing experience yeah. for me to share with you when you were building your computer you mm -hmm. called you're like hey I th I've done so much, man. Aww. I'm really close. And I just, I need help on this one little thing. And then we, we went through it and you hit that power button, you got post and you cheered. I think yeah. you even did a little stupid dance. I don't know if you could recreate it here, but it was pretty stupid. <laughs> I did a stupid but dance. I don't remember what it was, but I can't guarantee was you it was there. <laughs> you got to, you, I got to feel through you that same experience I had as a kid Enjoy. the first time I got that to, to work. And that was pretty awesome. So right to repair is very important. Everybody listening and watching right now, just think about how you can vote with your wallet, as Chris said, or do something in this mm -hmm. realm to kind of get the message out because we don't want to lose this. This, this is a major part of innovation is being able to take these things apart and understand how they work fundamentally and be able to repair them. But I'm so thankful, Chris, you joined us for this conversation as well. So thank you for that. Yay. Yeah, thanks guys. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. You can get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager that is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you tools to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords or passphrases if you want to use those, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't even have to do that. And you can access all of your data across many different types of devices, whether you have extensions in your web browser or a mobile app or desktop applications, or even on the command line if you want to do that. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, and that is a very important piece. 
And what's great about Bitwarden is that you can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started for free. Did I mention it was free? Well, you can, but you also can check out their premium accounts because there's a lot of great features on their premium accounts and they start at less than a dollar per month. That's right. For just $10 per year, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, party customer service, and so much more. And if, you have, if you're in a situation when you have, we're like this, we have multiple people in it, where you can create a family organization, you can go to a business account, you can do an enterprise account where you can have your employees have different levels of access and all sorts of stuff. You can customize it to nth degree. It's so many levels of customization, you can't, I can't even count them. There's so much great features in Bitwarden. So do this, make the smart move like many, many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get your account at Bitwarden. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. Okay, if we want to talk about news that makes me want to do a stupid dance like Michael did when he built that computer. Oh, this I, news did, I, I did a stupid dance for this. For I, sure. I, I, I was stupid <laughs> dancing all over the place. I had to calm myself down because I was sending ridiculous tweets of the excitement and change of the world that this is going to be. <laughs> and I had, I had to tone it down a little bit. But I honestly was that passionate about this. Look, we, we, we talked about this as being a rumor on, on our podcast. And then it's come to fruition. Valve has released the news on the Steam Deck. Yay. I, I'm not even sure how to begin <laughs> to express how exciting this is, even if you're not a gamer, what this could mean for Linux desktop adoption. Um, I guess the first thing to mention here is that it doesn't run Windows. I mean, it can, but <laughs> it doesn't come it doesn't with Windows. Run. It doesn't come with it. That's important. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't run Mac OS, which can't really game very well on anyways. So What's that's it? not what? really surprising. What's it run, Ryan? What's it's it not run? there. Um, by the way, I run Arch and so Arch? does the Steam Deck. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I mean, this blew me away. Like the Steam Deck dropping was cool news, but then it being on Arch, I'm like, Chris, Chris, Arch, dude. It took it to the next level, didn't it? It just took it to the next level. I oh. couldn't believe it. And you know what? This is such a better idea than the Steam machines themselves, which I was kind mm -hmm. of excited for. But this yeah. really is like everything Valve's been working on for years in their different hardware projects, all coming together in, in one piece of kit. And uh, it just seems kind of, self-evident now that they're done like it seems obvious and i think that's a good yeah. sign that's going to be successful and speaking of the steam machine we are finally getting our linux steam machine <laughs> finally <laughs> and valve is bringing linux to the masses <laughs> now michael i know one of the things that you wouldn't shut up about uh in our personal oh, conversations right. like you must have mentioned it a hundred times so i want to let you get this off your chest right here and now what desktop environment did they choose oh they chose kde plasma Oh, His yeah. favorite. They, 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 they saw the value of Plasma and the awesomeness, the powerful value of, of Plasma. And they chose that as their desktop. And they also talked about how it's not just a, a, you know, a portable gaming device. It is that, but you can also use it as a computer. And of course, what best, what's the best desktop, desktop environment for that? Plasma. Plasma. <laughs> Do you agree, Chris? Do you agree with that? I, actually, I am so, 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 so happy to see that it's Plasma. I have been agonizing that some large vendor isn't shipping a Plasma desktop, and the Plasma project is already seeing contributions upstream from Valve to improve some aspects of the desktop. And I mean, if the Arch stuff wasn't good enough, I'm over the moon about the Plasma. Yeah, they're stuff. just hitting every checkbox. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's like they listen to all of our shows and are like, okay, they want this, they want this, they want this. And in fact, when we talk about repairability, which we've talked about a ton on Hardware Addicts, did you know that there, there are several versions with several different storage, but it's been confirmed that you can actually upgrade the storage yourself. 
So when you talk about right to repair, NVMe internal storage, you can take out mm-hmm. the M2 drive. You can replace it with another 2230 M2 drive if you need to. So it's a fully upgradable machine. What about cloud? Surely they want to get you to sign up and get some cloud storage. No, because they have a micro SD card you can put in there if you want to expand your storage. And by the way, when you load games on that micro SD card and pop it in, it's like one of the game consoles, like a switch and things where it just pops up with all the games in a nice tile on the screen. It, it's so beautiful what the, what they've done here. Talking about the price point too, I was really surprised how low they got this price point. And listening yeah. to Gabe talk about it, I could mm-hmm. tell it kind of hurt him when he was talking about it. Like he, he was almost like, yeah, we we really got aggressive on the pricing. And man, it is aggressive. $399 is a starting point with which when we go through the specs, you're going to see is one heck of a good value. 529 for the 256 and 649 for the 512. The biggest changes between them, obviously the amount of storage there, but again, you could upgrade this yourself. Uh, also, I think on the 649 version, you get like an extra carrying case. I think you get a couple digital items and I believe it has a glare free uh, anti-scratch screen or something that's not on some of uh, the 529 or 399 version. But otherwise, they're the same processor in the, in, inside, same amount of power, same screen. So you're not minus, of course, the, the extra anti-glare. Um, so you're kind of getting either one you get, you're going to have a good experience. Let's put it that way. You know, and the thing is, as a non-gamer, right, I would never go out and spend $2,500, $3,000 on a dedicated gaming machine. I probably wouldn't even buy a dedicated Steam machine because, again, I'd have to have some place to set it up. But you know what I would buy? Something that I can attach to my 50-inch television inside of my living room. You know what else I might buy? Something that I can attach to the bedroom or the television inside of my kid's bedroom. But the fact that that can then come out and become a portable device in a lot of the same ways that the Nintendo Switch does uh, it it adds a lot of value. And then when you start to think about what platform would I want to invest in games in? Well, if it's the same games that I'm going to be able to play on my Linux desktop environment are the same ones that I'm playing on my little mini Linux desktop environment, there's a massive incentive now for the game manufacturers to start pushing out and say, hey, if you want it to run on the portable system, you got to have support for Linux. Um, and so it's it's kind of like a triple whammy for us as, as lin- if you're a Linux gamer out there, right? Yeah. Although there is a lot of focus in the developer documentation and and the presentations by Valve for developers to actually target Proton. So we could be looking at Valve really going in hard on Proton and just saying, well, yeah, that Linux stuff's important. But if you just want to take your existing game and make it work, that's absolutely fine. There are some rumors that Valve has contacted some developers and even suggest maybe they don't do a native port. Instead, just focus on Proton. But it's so early days with this thing, it's hard to say where they're going with that. It could really be about just trying to get Proton as good as possible right now so they can get the highest level of compatibility right now. But either way, it's going to mean games that run on Linux, right? So yeah. Exactly. I think that's a yeah. great point you brought up because it's, it's, I'm glad you brought it up because it's something I wanted to talk about in this topic because it is something that is very interesting that that's going around as far as like the rumors and stuff. But it it made me think like they'll, you know, we've always had this conversation about how do you convince someone to try Linux and try to try use open source and stuff like that well the best approach is to do it in a gradual way and the gaming thing that's the like a big hard uh barrier that people don't want to you know try it out because there was so many things that are not available and there's like we heard it last week in the interview yeah. with garuda right he right. went back mm-hmm. to windows back in the day because he didn't have the games available right the specific games weren't there and you can't you can't use it because you can't play that particular game and then it's a lot that's a lot of people have that situation with proton makes that a completely different situation like it is a game changer pun intended and it is such a huge, 
thing that it, if that habit that happens to be available to any game, like they said that they're they're working on having AAA titles, and also there was a, a an announcement basically in a video where they kind of casually said this, and it was like we're going to be making it as like we're doing our best to have an aim of every Windows game running through Proton. Like that is a huge statement. And I, I was, I never even expected that to happen in the first place, but the fact that they're saying that they're trying to do it before the Steam Deck comes out, I, I am so excited for this. And it, it has such a potential to bring people into Linux because not just the games working on Proton on the desktop, but also because that with a Steam Deck, they actually have a full system that they can play with and they can do all sorts of stuff. I mean, I've even talked to some people who were saying that they were thinking that they're, they're like they're, they prefer to do like a mobile lifestyle and they're thinking about maybe the Steam Deck could be their computer that they do all sorts of stuff in because it is a 16 gigabytes of RAM. It's It's got an AMD APU and all this stuff. It could be a, a very good value just in that case too. Yeah. And I actually, Michael, speaking to that point, I love Valve's ad. Use your deck as a PC because it is one. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And I personally am going to be hooking up a monitor, keyboard and mouse to mine and or using the Valve's official dock or a USB-C dock I already have. This is so exciting. And I was able to to grab the 256 NVMe one. So, yeah. You were all fighting in our internal right? deal and creators yeah. channel. All the creators the whole day were like, I can't get through the system. But if you want to know how popular this is going to be, <laughs> Valve deals in, I couldn't imagine how many tens of thousands of transactions a minute Valve has. We crashed the whole infrastructure yes. of Valve the entire day. It was down having issues. People couldn't get in there just to reserve this thing, I think it's going to be ultra po- uh, a very popular. And the yeah. fact that you can dock it and turn it into a full computer and have a full desktop experience, because I heard people saying, a lot of people comparing it to the Nintendo Switch. I, I understand why they want to, because that's mm-hmm. obviously one of the biggest ones out there. To me, it's more like a GPD. If you look yeah. at some of the consoles and things they have out there, because it, it actually mm-hmm. has a full functioning desktop environment. Whereas, yeah, you can connect a keyboard and mouse to a Nintendo Switch to play video games. But that's it. You're not going to get a full desktop environment and and be able to do other things outside of gaming with this. Whereas this, you can. That's just fire to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is Linux to the masses. And that's yeah. what's, what's <sighs> cool is when people want to use the desktop, they will be using Linux. Right. And, you know, one of the reasons <laughs> I own a Switch today is I sometimes just have some some game that I just want to pick up and play right away. Right. And I have I love Steam on Linux. I have tons of games installed. Every now and then something doesn't work. And I just, I love that the console aspect of the switch, I pick it up and go. And that's how I'm going to be able to treat mm-hmm. the, the stack as well as it'll just be there ready to go um, when I want to play. And I think that's I, that simplicity. It, it, the fact that it in a way just sort of removes the fact that it's even Linux. Well, well, I kind of wish people knew it means it's <laughs> going to just open it up to so many more people who are even more casual gamers and the price points it's in that right spot for that too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, this think, is like the Raspberry Pi of the gaming realm into yes. the Linux because yeah. a lot of people maybe not even you know realize it right away that the Raspberry Pi that they they love so much and they're setting up automation all this stuff with is, is running Linux of course and uh, I think after a while everyone finally uh, realizes it but this is that next level of that too from the gaming standpoint I think people are just buying it because the hardware is amazing what he's done with this uh, it's just it's a beautiful machine and then 
by the way, you're, you're running Linux and we got them. We got them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other big thing, huge thing is AMD's partnership with Valve. The specially Custom made APU. AMD mm. APU for the Steam Deck is awesome. And, and it is, is exactly what this device needs to succeed. And, you know, Valve reaching out to other vendors to create their own Steam Decks is also something they're going to be doing. But unlike what happened with the Steam Machine, there will be a universal hardware and software compatibility later. And I think Proton is that software compatibility later. That is awesome. Uh, that makes sense. And Which might explain the why the documentation focuses on Proton so hard and they're yeah. kind of pushing developers in that sure. way. Yeah. But I think the way that they're pushing it with it, especially like the marketing thing, we're saying like it is a PC so you can use it as one. I think that that's important because <laughs> the, the thing that they're going to be using is Linux when they switch to the PC stuff. So I think yes. that's a good way of doing it. And also I like the fact that they're marketing in the PC style because it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's a surprise. You got Linux, and that's and that's good <laughs> because they're going to experience like, oh, because there's a lot of people who have heard of Linux and just kind of go, yeah, but they can't play games. And then it's now, bored they, now, you will be assimilated. Yeah. Like yes. you don't have right. a choice. Like yeah. we've we've given you long enough. We've done enough shows to ask you to switch. Now we're just going to force switch you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can run Windows software on Linux. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's true too. Like I, I'm so excited about this. In, In fact, fact, WSL. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, so Ryan, I know we 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 were you know battling who could get the reservation first, and I got to ask, you know, uh, Jill says she got the fi- the 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 two fifty six. What did you get? I got the middle of the road. I got the two fifty six as cool. well. Nice. Uh, what did I, you get, Michael? Well, th- it's interesting that you ask. It's not like I prompted it at all. I was like, you know, I'm going full har- hardware addict. Oh. I'm getting the 512 gigs of, of storage on this one. So I got the higher end one. I just got, I, I couldn't help it. Like, I can't believe oh, Valve had jelly, a crowbar. <laughs> I can't believe Valve had a crowbar big enough to get your wallet open. You are so cheap. The fact that you're willing to spend That's that true. speaks volumes about this product. Yeah, I'm super excited. I yeah. can't wait to play it for every, every all the games that it's like I, all my own games that I already have can play in this. So of course, Rocket League is going to be on there first thing, and then I have so much options to do this. And then you know, of course, Plasma. I'm in. So the, then when we go to Linux events, we can all have our Steam decks, Chris, oh, and yeah. like link up and, and Noah and Jill and we're all like land party. Have, oh yeah. man. Yeah. You know, Michael, that's a great point though that I hadn't even thought of is when this thing gets out of the box, when I open this up, I have like 200 games that are already compatible with it. And that, yep. when does that ever happen with a console? Right. Never. Yeah, And exactly. you don't have to pay anymore. You already yeah. got this stuff. Like it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And with the Steam Deck, I got the largest storage I could have, but not everybody has the largest storage of their machines. So if you need to compress files, especially images, you need to check out the Software Spotlight. This week's Software Spotlight is Curtail. Uh, I've, I've heard some rumors that Ryan's been in desperate need of something like this for some some terabytes of pictures for like the kids and that sort of stuff. My wife won't stop. It, it, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like I, I have so many pictures of my kids that it, 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 every second of their life is another picture and I'm constantly running out of storage. I have servers and Synology NASes and cloud storage and there's never enough to the point where I've got to look into compression capabilities. So I took just to kind of test this out because I wanted to see how it would scale about one to two gigabytes of pictures and it shrunk each picture between 1% and 18%. It depends on the picture, what formats it's in. So it's not going to compress everything uh, fully, but at least gives me some hope of holding out for another six months of pictures of the kids <laughs> that I'm storing somewhere. Like it's, 
It's insane. Noah, do you run into this issue or do you, do you just have a hundred thousand terabyte hard drive? My, my view on that is just storage is cheap. So as I continue to build up storage, I just keep putting, putting local storage to keep my local media in a local place. You're running like a Google server farm. This hard drive died. You're swapping no, out the next man. one. Like, free nice. Yeah. It makes it so yeah. easy. I love it. Well, that is but another it, approach as well. Uh, Chris, do you have, uh, what, what do you do for this kind of situation? I have to say it is a little bit of the Mad Dash hard drive stuff. Um, I am already in the planning phases for a fall drive expansion. This is how I, I try to look at it. As the terabytes go down, I start planning and storage prices are kind of high right now. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. maybe they'll be down a little bit in the fall. And I'm probably going to try to add like another eight to 12 terabytes worth of storage. Uh, and just try to offload all of that that I can to Backblaze. Um, but, you know, like I, I just I find like it, it not only does it never stop growing, but now we're doing a lot more video and the video is 4K. Yep. And that's just taking it to a whole other level of storage requirements. It's a fun I, ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, For sure. And, and speaking of the curtail, if you want to do some compression of your images, there is a lot of cool stuff about it. My favorite thing about this is that the simple approach of the UI is you basically just grab some pictures, toggle which compression you want, lossy or lossless, and you just you just click go. And it mm -hmm. works as a flat pack, so it's really easy to get started with it. If you want to check it out, the Software Spotlight Curtail will have links in the show notes. And we've all come across a tutorial, or we've all had a situation where we're asked to find a specific file, and then the tutorial doesn't tell you where that file exists. Now, if you're in a graphical environment, you probably have some tools at your disposal to help you locate that. But what happens when you're SSH'd into a server and all you have is the CLI at, at, your, uh, at your disposal? Well, this week we're going to share a tip on how you can use the find command to find files. So here's an example. Let's say you have some instructions about editing a file blues-monitor.com, but you have no idea where blues-monitor.com is. Well, you can use find to locate it. Now, when you type find, which is find. Uh, the first argument after that command is the location that you're going to search. This is the parent location that's going to search everything within that. And so you could specify the directory if you knew roughly where it was. If you didn't, you could go the nuclear option and use the root of the file system slash. But of course, that isn't really ideal because it's not efficient, right? It's going to have to search through all of the files in your hard drive, essentially, to, to locate that file. So we can add the tack name after the location. And this is saying that we want to search that specific file by its specific name because we at least have that information. Then we can put in the name. So for example, blues-monitor.com. And if that file exists anywhere on the file system, then you're going to see it show up and it'll say something like slash user slash share slash pipeware slash media-session.d slash blues-monitor.com. In this case, we're looking for pipeware and that path is the pipe is the, is the path to that file on Garuda. But there are some other switches that you can use to help you use Find more efficiently. So make sure to keep tuning back in to Destination Linux to learn more. Well, that's it. That's our show. But the multiverse conversion happened. It's a thing. Yay. Chris, thank you so much, man, for coming on and joining us on Destination Linux. <laughs> thank you for having me. And a couple of great topics for us to kick around, too. So that was yeah. a treat as well. Oh, oh yeah, it, sure. it's been awesome. We want everyone to invite everyone out there to go to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Check out all the amazing podcasts out there and content. Check out Linux Unplugged. That was the, the first episode of the multiverse uh, multiverse oh, yes. of madness or whatever we're going to call this. Uh, <laughs> check it out. It's episode 414 of Linux Unplugged where I join Chris. We have a great conversation about you know the, the drama topics or the awkward news of Linux sometimes that happens. <laughs> and check that out. We'll have that linked in the show notes. And a huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting, watching, listening, however you do it, Destination Linux. 
And if you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful faces here with us right now. You get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of the show. So if you couldn't make this multiverse collision come together and watch it live, then you can watch the unedited version (laughs) where we have lots of side banter and fun conversations about bubbly and refrigerators in your office and all kinds of cool stuff this week. (laughs) And you get VIP access to events and live recordings of the show every Sunday. Come hang out with us. In addition to that, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. So we can't wait to see you in the chat. And also go to DLNstore.com where you can pick up some swag for the Destination Linux Network. We got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, uh, stickers. We got uh, aprons. We got backpacks. And for example, if you like the This Week in Linux podcast, you can twill while you grill with that apron. So much great stuff (laughs) at DLNstore.com. That is not in the notes. Twill while you grill. That's not in the notes, but it needs to be for next time. (laughs) Wow. And we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel. Yep, we got a dab. <laughs> Deal and extend hardware addicts, Game Sphere, and get your Fedora hat on with our latest show, the Fedora Podcast. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these wonderful shows to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Also, be sure to mark your calendars for Pseudo Hangouts, which will be July 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a fun time hangout with Eric, Brandon, and the rest of the listeners of the community, as well as a few of us may show up there. You never know. So check it out. Put that on your calendars. Pseudo Hangouts, July 29th. All right, Chris, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but <laughs> I've, I've put it in chat. Would you do the closing of Destination yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Yeah. It <laughs> was awesome. Awesome. All right, patrons, you can Yay. turn on your cameras, turn on your mics, come talk to Chris. We almost Thanks, forgot yeah. the we almost forgot the Noah bye-bye thing. Oh my goodness. I didn't forget. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, he we're did not it. done yet. Dude. <laughs> I'm hot on the trigger. That was, was so awesome. Much fun. All right, patrons, where are you at? Where are you at? Quit hiding. There's 20 of you in here. Surely all of you aren't that shy. No, I'm just trying to figure out how to get access to Michael AI so I can upload some. <laughs> it's open source. It's available on GitHub. Yeah, GitHub. I know.